Hello and welcome to the Financial Father and Son podcast where we explore the various ways the younger generation can achieve financial independence. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about debt and what good debt is, what bad debt is. We're going to be talking about mortgages and whether you should be maxing out the amount you can take out to buy your dream house or whether you should not buy a house and just rent. We'll also be covering credit cards and why the rich are the bank's worst enemy because they don't make money off those people. Finally, we'll talk about whether the youngsters of today should be putting their money into real estate or is there an easier way to get rich? Now, before we start today's episode, if the topics I've just mentioned sound interesting to you, then chances are you're going to find out other episodes interesting as well. So to keep updated as to when we upload our episodes, please click the subscribe button on whichever platform you're on and also the auto download feature as this will automatically download episodes when we release them. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Okay, so I know about financial independence and the basics of it and how to get to a stage of FI. But we hear a lot about debt being used to fuel wealth, um, debt being used for good, and then there's also debt being used for bad. So how can I use debt to fuel my way to financial independence? Yeah, I think here um, you have to understand that that debt could, uh, well, it will, it will cause a drag to your journey. It will, it will, um, create, create an extra drag in terms of money that you could have otherwise, you know, kept or invested or saved Mm. because now why is that? Well, because yes, you know that the idea here is to build financial resilience you know you're going to try to grow your income and grow the gap between income and spending. But, you know, just if you look at the statistics about how much debt people have, so I had a quick look today. I was just trying to understand what is the size of a, a average household mortgage and credit card debt. Um, so we're talking, you know, getting into debt uh, by a few hundred thousand pounds for a mortgage, for example, uh, or credit card debt, which is unsecured debt. So any kind of debt like this, which you're then um, having to pay uh, an interest cost every month, and and maybe this goes on for years. It could go on for decades in the case of mortgages. So this will this will cause an extra friction between the timeline that you know you could achieve financial independence, and and I mean that's a so you're saying there's an alternative there's an alternative way we could instead of going the traditional route and trying to buy a house when we're young um maybe we could just rent for a longer period of time and put the money that we would have used to maybe buy a house to work in the markets and over time with compound interest that will get us to fi this is this is absolutely one other way of looking at this so for example, in my generation may have been hell bent on owning property, mm. but your generation doesn't seem to be that hell bent on, you know, getting on the property ladder. So what does that mean? It means maybe your generation is more comfortable with paying rent. 
And we're more mobile as well. We're moving around a lot more, right? Exactly. You're more mobile, you're more flexible, and you know, you may even be working in different countries. Yeah. You know? So so that means that you you do pe- younger people perhaps don't want to be too tied down to one place or one geographic location. Um, I mean, there's so many cities, you know, to work in, you know, where, where do you, where do you plant your roots? Um, so, so when we started, it was different. And you could say that that path to wealth started off with, you know, property because people invariably, they build up equity in that property. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you cannot build equity using a different vehicle and I'm talking about index funds. Uh, if you take that route, it, it doesn't therefore matter to a point that you pay rent as long as you're you know, investing in the market and you're building wealth that way. Yeah, and it seems like a more, I don't know what, efficient. Seems, seems like a more efficient, nicer way to build wealth and money because you're not going into a, a huge amount of debt to, to start the journey. Cause if you buy a house, obviously with a mortgage, you're forced to go into debt. Um, and on the other hand, if you buy index funds or s- the stock market or whatever, you can buy what you can afford and slowly increase that over time as income grows to, you know, build up as much, as many units of the market as possible. That, that's, that is a really good point, actually, because if you think about uh, my generation, you know, sometimes there was a tendency to buy too much house. Yeah. And, and so you get a huge mortgage that goes with it. And what you find is that you're actually running back and forth, back to work, back home, work home, you know, to simply pay off the mortgage. Yeah. You're working for that loan. Yeah. And, and you're paying the, the banks as well. It's not just that initial mortgage you're, you're, or the amount of the mortgage you're paying back. It's the interest, which just goes up over time. Absolutely right. I mean, Kiyosaki, you know, he makes an interesting point, you know, when, when he says that uh, y- you're not only working for the government because you've got to pay tax, uh, but, you know, you buy the house, which is a bit of a liability. It's not earning any income. It's not generating income for you. And, you know, you've got, to, you've got to pay the bank. You've got to pay the interest on the loan. So you, you have to recognize that this, this is going to cause a drag um, on, on, on your journey, your objective. Yeah. Uh, and so this is something important because what if interest rates change? What if uh, one of the members of the household's job stops? And then now you've, you're going to always have this loan interest to pay every month whether it's credit card or mortgage and it's an obligation you know you're not going to get out of it Mm. so so you know one is one is that getting too much of a debt it means that you're you're going to be running around you know working for that debt and the idea here is to uh work work to a point where you achieve freedom as fast as possible yeah okay so there's one type of debt the mortgage hmm. now there's many other debts that uh i guess have increased it over i guess have increased over time uh like car financing debt or credit card debt you know 
that you can even like get dead on buying a watch you know if you want a rolex or something hmm. you can pay monthly for it so these aren't the type of debt that we should go into right yeah i mean this this kind of debt could become quite dangerous i mean and and especially when and some people do they will pay minimum payments every month so it's going to accumulate uh, it's going to grow and it'll grow to the point where you, you literally never pay off the debt so how to manage that i mean the the key thing to try to be aware of here is to say well if i have a, a, a an income and a spending and savings plan then and i can trust myself to spend within a budget and even if i use credit cards because actually credit cards can be quite useful they they have sometimes loyalty benefits of, of points and air miles and all those sort of things so so that that can be something you can use to your advantage and if you're quite strict the trick here would be to say i'm going to pay off everything every month i'm not going to let the debt go from one month to the next yeah because the moment you do that you're on the hook for whatever interest rate the credit card companies will charge yeah 10 percent, 15 percent, 17 percent, whatever it is again i don't even think people understand the APR, the annual percentage rate that they pay on this kind of debt. It seems small and harmless, but uh, it wipes away whatever discount you thought you got by buying something in a sale. Yeah. The worst customers for banks are the rich people, aren't they? Because they pay their bills on time and they're not giving any interest. Absolutely. They're the worst twice over because they exploit all the loyalty benefits, all the air miles. Yeah. And they pay off everything every month. Yeah. I've been doing that for decades. Yeah. You know, and maybe I'm not so good on the credit card loyalty and figuring out how to arbitrage which card is the best. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I, we, we probably earn a couple of or three flights a year from our cards. Great. But I'm sure there are people out there who do way better. They're way more successful on this. But winning isn't. You know, winning in financial independence isn't getting perks from cards. Winning in financial independence is sticking to the plan of investing every month and, and building wealth slowly through index funds. And that's just going to grow at some compound rate you know, yeah. over a 10, 20, 30 year period. And that's how you win in the long run. Mm. The point system for credit cards as well is like, it's like it makes you spend more, right? And depending on the person you are, if you pay your bills or you pay your credit card off every month, it doesn't matter because you're going to pay it off. But for the person that doesn't pay their credit card off every month, the points act as an incentive to say, oh, okay, well, it's justified. Let me buy this thing because I'm getting points. But then the actual fact is you're just more debt and the interest rate on that extra purchase, is, <laughs> it doesn't offset the, you know, the, the amount of points you got or the value from the points you get anyway. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a, it's a clever psychology. It's again, it's, it's, it's targeted to work on consumers uh, in a way that it incentivizes them to take on more debt because they yeah. think I'm going to get 1% back or, or some sort of cash back or points or air miles, but it's not really that much. Yeah. You know, you have to spend a lot of money to earn a, a airline ticket. Yeah, it's true. You know, so, it's all that's, just that's not the game the the, the 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 game is actually to pay it off each month and, mm. that, and you can focus on um other debt what about car loans then yeah i mean this could be a this is another 
I mean, terrible idea in, in my view, uh, because I think you've mentioned it before that uh, people buy the, you, you can buy cars so easily because it reduces the um, entry barrier. You don't have to pay cash. And who's got the cash to buy a car brand new? Mm. Um, and what this will do is it allows allows you to buy a brand new car with with just, you know, virtually a, not no money down, but a small deposit, but then a three or five year um, obligation. Some of them now are no money down. And right. like in the UK, for example, you could go get a Ford Fiesta or something with sometimes no money down from Ford for a couple hundred pound a month. Yeah, I mean, 200 pound a month, uh, that's... Maybe a bigger car would be four hundred pounds. Maybe a fancier car, yeah. a BM, might be four or five hundred pounds. It makes um, sense to finance a car hmm. if you have the cash to buy the car outright. If you have that cash to buy the car outright, then you can say, "All right, I'll just pay the monthly payments, and I'll put that money that I was going to use to pay off the car, I'll put it to work for me somewhere else that has a higher interest rate than like an offset. Yeah, than yes. the cost of the loan. Yes." Then it makes sense. Yeah. But otherwise, so, no. Exactly. Say I got a nice, you know, thirty thousand car on a lease, but then I have a spare thirty thousand cash. You can chuck that in the markets, and so that's kind of like uh, a way to offset the cost of the car loan. I don't know what a car loan might be—a few percent. No, some of them are ten percent. Are they? Oh. Yeah. Especially if they're used. Used cars are much higher percent. Right. Interest. Right. And and it seems like they're a better deal because used cars are cheaper than brand new cars. But yeah. what they will do then is they'll hike up the interest rate. Yeah. And so it doesn't seem like it's that uh, expensive. Car financing is just like the new, like credit card mm. debt in a way. Just people yeah. can't afford to buy the car outright. So the banks are saying, all right, well, we'll, uh, we'll give you a deal on it, but we're going to ask for this amount of interest back. Isn't it over? It's worth over a trillion now car yeah. in uh, the US in the US it's uh, as of March 2020 mm. it's 1.3 trillion and the average loan for a new car was $32,000 mm. um, and the average monthly payment is 550 roughly $550 yeah. and then the average income in America is what 50,000 that's like more than 10% Thereabouts, of your income yeah, $50,000 and that's pre-tax as well yeah, exactly. Because uh, they see that doesn't sound good. Um, and considering what you said about the car purchase, the average size of the loan, you can buy a car, a secondhand car, if you're that determined to control your spend and mm. that determined to maximize your saving and investing situation, uh, you can buy a secondhand car, perfectly good quality secondhand car that will set you back way less. You can, For a few thousand even, just wait a few months, but let those monthly payments you were going to pay build up and then just buy it cash. Buy it cash, oh, right. This, and there's a surplus, there's a glut of cars in the uh, economy. Yeah. Especially now. So this is, this is um, something to be very wary of, that when you go forward you know, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted by adverts because that's what this is all about. This this whole financial independence is growing your awareness so that you don't get tempted into spending 
and buying things you don't need. Yeah. It, it, and, and for most uh, of the uh, audience out there, you can get suckered into this. And, and this, is, this is why the adverts work. This is why yeah. the uh, marketing works really well. Uh, because it's it's grabbing your attention, and now it's moved from uh, TV to um, uh, mobile phones, yep, and social media, and so everybody's looking at this. And you know, just another strange way of looking at this is, uh, you know, in Instagram, and it looks or appears as though it's content, but you know, it's pretty much all advertising. Hmm. So, so. These are some pitfalls to to you know to be very uh, wary of. Okay, um, so we've established that we can go into debt to build wealth. There are certain debts that you don't want, and some debts that you you need to use, uh, like a mortgage. So, how much debt can I go into? Is there a way to figure out what level of debt I'll be able to be? Is there a level of debt that I'll be comfortable paying off? Is there a formula for that? I think I think if you think of it in terms of um, uh, cash flow management, and and if you if you're strict and say, well, I'm gonna, I'm I'm not gonna get into a situation where I'm gonna let this debt roll. I'm I'm gonna pay this debt off each month. So I instruct the card company uh, to take the uh, money from my account mm. because I'll always ensure there's enough in the current account. Yeah, I don't. And, and I find that's useful because, and you might too, because it's automated. You know, automation is absolutely key to this. And so just like you should automate all your, you know, utility bills uh, with the bank, because, you know, who wants to sit there and write checks and, and, and or, or go online every few days to pay a bill? You don't want to do that. I mean, you could do that, but. I think most people automate their bills anyway now. Right. So, so that, that's the same thing with credit cards. If you can automate that as well, then I think it builds a kind of uh, uh, strength in terms of how you use your credit card. So your credit card can just be to manage your cash flow. But I'm saying for like a mortgage, how much of a mortgage can I take out mm. relative to my income? I know that the rate in the UK is you can take out 5x your gross income, but I don't know, is that safe? Yeah, I mean, you know, most most of the times it's the suppliers, the banks are setting these kind of limits. And uh, so how do you know it's affordable or sustainable for you? Is It's very personal. And maybe some people will say, you know, for housing costs, make sure it's not more than you know, 20 or 30% of your income mm. and your net income, in fact. And I would, I would look very closely at net income, all the income that comes into the household. I'd want to know what spending goes for goods and services uh, and also for mortgages. Because, uh, you know, that mortgage might fluctuate uh, with interest rates. Yeah. And you don't want to be in a situation of a mortgage bill shock. And, and people do experience this when they move from the, you know, one, one or two year discount period to the standard variable rate. What's a mortgage bill shock? 
mortgage bill shock is when you you know people take a loan out and you know for the first year or two you get a special discounted rate and then it flips to the variable rate is that a way to get you in to take the mortgage it gets you in yeah Uh, it's it's an acquisition strategy and and remember global financial crisis remember the film we saw uh, the big shorts yeah Uh, pretty much that's what happened to the uh, mortgage market in the u.s everybody was signing up you know, for loans that appeared really affordable because the front end was heavily discounted. Oh, yeah. And then after two or three years, you know, it flips up to the variable rate of five, six, whatever percent. Mm. Because you didn't care about that at the beginning. You were desperate to buy this kind of mini mansion, muck mansion. Yeah. Um, And they were selling these to anybody. It was a great movie, actually, to to show. It's a very good movie. And and there are some hard lessons that, you know, most people can can draw from from films like this. Mm. Uh, so, so it's about sustainability and like I said, it's personal, it's really uh, for a different episode, but you know, there are lots of property experts out there and the key here is to say, well, you know, how much house do I need? What deposit do I have? What loan do I need? What will the cost of the loan be? And how is that going to affect my, um, my budget? Because it can happen where you stretch yourselves between a couple to get the maximum and then one of the couple stops working. Yeah. And that puts an incredible amount, you know, of pressure. Because uh, you don't, you shouldn't plan for this income to stay the same forever. It, it doesn't work this way. Mm. Uh, income sometimes fluctuates. Sometimes you may have a gap between jobs. Yeah. You know, and, and, and life, life uh, events happen. There is an emotional connection with your first house or the house you live in. So I can understand why people try and stretch out to, to get the biggest or best house they can. Mm. But if you take a step back, it's not logical to do that if you're trying to build wealth or get on your way to financial independence. Because the house you live in, as Robert Kiyosaki said in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, is not an asset, is it? It's not generating any income for you. It's just it's taking li- money out of your pocket. It's a liability. It's true. It's a liability. It's it's only later that maybe its value might have gone up, and mm. you may have built to equity. There's yeah. no guarantee of that. But there's no income from it. There's no income from it, and yeah. it's just like something which could happen or it may not happen. Mm. Um, and that that is actually speculative thinking. That oh, it's gonna, and that's why the majority of the U.S. housing market uh, got into trouble. Because everybody was thinking that that this time it's different, and you know the prices are just you know gonna keep going up. Housing prices, yeah, and and prices don't go up forever. There's there's always events and cycles. There's bubbles and bursts. Yeah. So, you know, don't get caught up into that. And since we're talking about financial independence, the house isn't the only vehicle. You know, we talked about index funds and we talked about your generation wanting more mobility and they're more flexible and that, you know, they, that they'd probably be doing more uh, entrepreneurship or solopreneurship. I can't pronounce it, but, um, type of projects and maybe they're not gonna, you know, get the big corporate jobs, you know, for decades and decades. And I've been lucky to have worked for 30 years now, 30 years plus. And 
that doesn't mean that this this uh, trajectory can be repeated because yeah. things change. We still have big corporations, but those corporations, you know, will tell you that their environment is more complex now. Yeah, that they face more uncertainty, and so don't necessarily. You know, I'm not saying you can't bank on a long, uh, long career with one company, but you know, you, it, maybe it's harder to do now, especially with this COVID situation. It's showed us that there's less dependence on being in one location, right? You Absolutely. can get the job done from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I've been we we've been in the house now for. Th- three months uh working from home studying from home and you know the the internet is fantastic yeah Uh, the speeds are so fast you can do all your work getting access to work servers you know everything works um so well that it makes you think well you know what's the future model of working in the office going to be like because i don't think anybody really knows yet Mm. and also like with property if Mm. we go back to this uh buying a house because of this current situation and us realizing we are remote and can move anywhere you don't need to go and buy your house in a major city or you know near work or something like that Uh, it can be on the outskirts or whatever if it's cheaper there and you get more space it makes more sense to do it that way yeah and on the flip side as well is if you happen to have built up a portfolio of you know properties um Sometimes people build these up based on where they live. So they know an area, so they'll, and that's fine. That's a good, good approach. You should, you know, uh, stick to the market that you know best. But um, if, if you happen to be moving around, you know, you have to almost mentally detach yourself to say, well, let them generate the income wherever they are. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we have property in the UK and outside the UK, but that that's not troubling because mm. it's just a case of management. Yeah. And so actually what you hope is that your tenants continue to pay rent. Yeah. And that's the uncertainty which, you know, you, you, you also touched upon because those tenants are working. You know, they, they depend on income to pay the rent. So... I think since we're talking about, you know, how you get started, how your generation can get started, I think index funds is a tremendous vehicle that's easy to get into. It's very little friction. Yeah. It's easy to set up and you don't have to you know, have the huge entry barriers that you face with property. There's no huge deposit you have to build up. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, if you think about it, by the way, in the early, I mean, I think in the, in the 60s or whenever it was, to be an investor, you know, in the stock market, you had to prove you had a certain amount of wealth. This is how discriminatory the investment environment was back then. Yeah. That it only allowed people who were rich or had wealth to open a, a, an account with a brokerage firm. Or in other cases, um, they, they had a minimum requirement, you know, and, and sometimes for some funds, it would be like a, some enormous, you know, figure like $100,000. Yeah. 
it's funny then how that switched then to property right and, and also hedge funds you know like you had to you had to prove you had a million in wealth but it's like switched from property to like now index funds are so easily accessible the stock market absolutely uh, but property is like you need that hundred thousand or whatever yeah, i see what you're saying that is a good point yeah it's 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 completely like uh, gone the other way mm. um and you know so so maybe that's a good thing it's good that something else appeared yeah because if property is going to be so difficult um the 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 stock market is actually i think a fantastic vehicle for for all ages yeah. uh, as long as you stick to index funds because you're not taking onerous risk you're, you're taking market risk and you're you're paying efficient fees which is great by the way with physical assets you pay a lot in fees you know there's solicitors fees there's search fees there's uh, architect fees there's um, you know surveyors fees i mean mm. um not to mention estate agent fees and and so you know people involved in a chain you you've got fees associated with selling your house plus fees associated with buying the next property yeah you can't even get out of it fee free <laughs> stamp duty this i mean it's you you literally have to be a spreadsheet monster now these days yeah you know and i am good at spreadsheets and i really use them a lot and i still do to help inform certain decisions you know um uh, but 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 these days you know you, you have to know every single line item in order to get the full picture otherwise how else will you know the full picture mm. and then when you compare it and say well will i be better off with physical property asset or index funds well obviously it's a personal decision but you can see how quickly you can get started with with index funds yeah and in five years you know you could actually build up quite a nice portfolio mm. um and, and and when you hit the age of 30 again it will grow and continue to grow and hopefully your um career's grown as well yeah that's true that's it really i think we 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 stick to the objective idea about financial independence and and we just touched upon debt you know and kind of what kinds of debt there are and in the end you know we're we're saying that the two can still go together as long as you're keeping a track of your income and spending and as long as you realize that you don't have to just focus on property because yeah. some people do and they have done and it's been very successful for them but maybe those same kind of people in the past avoided the stock market like the plague. Yeah. But, I mean, it, you don't have to. It, it's not one or the other. You can actually do both, and we do both. Um, and I definitely see the, the tremendous power that the stock market you know, has and what it's capable of. And index funds, like, like we keep saying, it's a, it's a very powerful vehicle for wealth growth i'd um, rather just put my money into index funds and not have any property in life uh because i can draw an income from the index funds hmm. but the property yeah you can draw an income but not from the one you live in right correct so if i had a a, a portfolio that can generate me my four percent withdrawal i can use that four percent to pay rent for wherever i live and the rest of the money to support my lifestyle you know 
and that yeah. can go on for eternity. You're right. You're right. Because on on that one property, you're not going to win with one property. Mm. You know, with, with property, it it's, requires you to either house hack. You buy one house, but you live in one room, and then you rent the other rooms out. So yeah. That that would be okay. Uh, or you have to buy the second and third and fourth and continue to to grow the machine that way. Yeah which which is harder to do but the good thing about index funds what you said is that it's, it's easier because also there's less transaction cost you know and by that i mean effort and hassle yeah and you don't need to worry about you know receiving calls from the estate agent or the letting agent and emails and so on yeah uh, you're not disturbed uh I think it's more peaceful in fact mm, yeah it is well i haven't had experience with property but I have a little bit with Vanguard and it's, there's no hassle or stress there. So that just about sums up today's episode on debt and how debt can be used to fuel your way to financial freedom or financial independence, but it can also be a huge drag if used wrongly. Now, if you did enjoy today's episode, we'd really appreciate if you click the subscribe button as this will keep you updated as to when we upload our latest episodes. Our current upload schedule is weekly, every Tuesday. If anyone has any questions regarding today's episode, previous episodes or future episodes, please contact us either on Twitter at FinancialSun or by email at FinancialFatherAndSun at gmail.com. Finally, thank you all for listening to today's episode. We appreciate all your support. We'll see you next episode. Take care, guys.